Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play.
every Wednesday. In Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 239 is from the Cane and Rinse contributory panel. Is that the right way of putting it? Uh, Richard Davidson, welcome back. Hello, nice to be back. Good. I always feel like my my mouth wants to add the D in your surname, even though it's not there, and it annoys me because I don't like getting things wrong. Yeah, Davison. I'll Davison. take that. I mean, I'm indifferent. Well, there about is, it. there is one D there. It's just mm-hmm. once you've formed the first D, I find that my my mouth wants to land on the second one as well. <laughs> anyway, listeners, he's a Davison without the second D. Mm-hmm. The son of. Davis? I don't know. I'll do, yeah. Are we going <laughs> I for assume it was actually it, already. It probably is the son of David, isn't it? And then that your version is a, a version that's become contracted. Yeah, it's really common surname around where I am, and I think also in Wales, yeah, yeah. but obviously more colloquially known as Davidson. So yeah. I think it should have a high uh, an apostrophe in it. Uh, <laughs> between the I and the I and the S. A silent then, D, yeah. Uh, we could do a glottal stop for it. <laughs> David. Oh, no, because then I'm, it sounds like I'm mocking your accent, which is not a good thing. It's not going to happen. Anyway, for those of you who don't know, you may have heard Sound of Play before. If you're a Sound of Play listener and Rich has been a guest before, uh, if you're a Kane and Rince listener, our other podcast, you'll have noticed that Rich has been popping up a bit more these days. That's because we roped him in. And uh, and he's had uh, compliments for talking of voices. We've, you've had compliments for your uh, for your smooth delivery of listener correspondence ah that's very flattering i don't think i've ever had anyone compliment my voice i used to work in a multinational corporation with um a lot of people who were based in central europe who said the exact same thing but i'm yeah. I, I don't know I, i'm not really I'm, I'm not sure i think um my kids don't seem to mind so i'll do it. <laughs> that's handy yeah that would be a problem all right here we are nine tunes from the video games music archives and we open the show with one of uh, Rich's picks. This is from the second game in the Unravel series. Will there be any more? I don't know. Rooftop Escape is the piece. I haven't played Unravel 2 yet. I did complete the first game. But what I did want to say was that the the music for that game by the same people, Freddy Johansson and Henrik Oya, I guess, or Oja, uh, was just seemed to be the perfect choice in terms of cementing that homespun home crafted kind of feel that the game is all about both in the sense of its protagonist and in this case protagonist being yarny literally yarny uh, but also the story and the setting being quite uh, down to earth and you know, homely yeah yeah and i think there's something about sort of the way that the music sounds that kind of puts it in a, in a place. So I think um, just doing some light research, there's a lot of those kind of na- um, the the melodies in there that are kind of um, woven into like traditional Swedish music. So you listen to like whole music in Sweden and there's a lot of those same themes in there. So it just puts you right in that kind of location where, where Coldwood actually made the game at the same point. Good stuff. And why did you pick that one particularly? Have you played through Unravel the second? Absolutely. So Unravel the first one came to me as a, as a game that um, I had no real interest in, but I picked up at the time I was playing it alongside The Witness, which is a game that I absolutely detested. And it was just ah, a nice breath of fresh air. But <laughs> when Unravel 2 was announced, it was one of those games that EA decided that they were going to jump on that kind of marketing scheme where they just say, okay, right, it's a, a part of E3, but it's actually ready for you to download right now. Yeah. yeah so I, I actually that. downloaded it before the EA press conference finished and I was playing it the evening of, of that day. I think it's uh, like a wonderful game. I think you and I have had a, a conversation before about your feelings on Unravel, the initial game, and how it yeah. sort of lacks a bit of depth. The second one's um, definitely got more dimensions to it because there's a second character, there's a little bit mm. more kind of complexity to the puzzles, and it's just an all-round great game. Is it designed to be played solo or co-op or either or both? So I think it's designed for co-op. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's got a very functional single-player aspect to it. Um, mm-hmm. It's maybe not the most elegant solution to the problem, but um, it's it's just a kind of enhancement of the game. And I think I just want to say, like, I hope to God EA decide to do the same thing for the next iteration and, and Coldwood get to produce another um, Unravel because I think the game's excellent. As always, in our regular Sound of Play shows, we've got some requests, picks from the Kane Rinse community. Head over to kanerince.com slash forum, hook up into the Sound of Play thread and make your requests in there. 
We've got one here from Retro Clarence, who says, The music in Cannon Fodder is quite rightly lauded, and most gamers of a certain age can instantly recall the intro music. However, the music which plays over the death in service screen at the end of each mission is also pretty wonderful. There is permadeath in Cannon Fodder, so when you lost that five-star general to a stray roof or flaming barrel, you feel every second of that loss when this music kicks in. And this is Boot Hill by John Hare, who also was coder on the game, and the late Richard Joseph.
from Cannon Fodder, the Amiga version there we heard, which is the original, the one I played from 1993. When Retro Clarence, our correspondent, said there, a stray roof, he meant it. That wasn't a typo or a, or a misspeaking from me. One of the ways in which your fragile little men, your cannon fodder, could die was by blowing up uh, a building and have the roof Almost RNG like I as if I recall, like I don't think it landed in the same place every time. So I think that's one of the things that I found frustrating about the game was that you could find yourself uh having important characters lost to something that you felt like you could barely avoid. But yes, I don't know if you are familiar with Cannon Fodder, Richard. I think I can probably count on one hand in the amount of minutes that I've played Cannon Fodder. Okay. Um but I've definitely played it before. I remember it being incredibly difficult back in the day yes. as well. Yeah. Yes, I never got past mission eight of of the. I think there were twenty four missions, uh, split each split into multiple levels, and mission eight was where it just got beyond me. It's one of the reasons why we've never covered it for the podcast because, I, in many ways, I think it'd be a great game to to talk about. Great history, obviously. There was the whole uh, B- British Legion uh, poppy yeah. controversy where Cannon Fodder was subject of a ban this sick filth kind of newspaper story because. Uh, Cannon fodder had respectfully allowed, uh, respect decided to what they thought was respectfully utilize the the red poppy symbol, um, but the Royal British, British Legion uh, claimed it as their own kind of uh, copyright, and uh, and I think yes the because it was 1993 although I, I suspect this would still happen now the consensus sort of general ignorant consensus was that this game was a shoot 'em up you know that would glorify war when of course it really isn't i mean yes you shoot people and yes they die on screen but this music that we've just heard the boot hill piece absolutely was one of the things that made you realize that perhaps this game wasn't a just a knockabout laugh a jape it was uh, it actually had some sense of um respect to it in that uh yeah so you would you started off with these group of uh, soldiers who were named after members of the sensible software team and the longer you kept those initial soldiers alive the better and better they got so it's hard to explain to people who haven't played it but this is top down game with pretty tiny uh sort of eight pixel high or whatever graphics and it's all originally it was before it was ported to console it was all mouse controlled so you would simply use your mouse to point where you wanted them to fire on the screen but when they were all low ranking they would kind of fire off at all different angles uh but as they got better they would shoot and kill more accurately so the the longer you kept these people alive the more the more important it was to keep them alive further like X, xcom in that sense or, or one of those turn-based strategy games but so when you did lose someone as as clarence says it was genuinely uh, a sad moment and throughout the game the permadeath not only was that was it you lose the character you lose the character but also each one was represented by a little tomb a mark a gravestone a white cross or whatever on this boot hill so a permanent reminder of your failure to keep your buddies alive harsh <laughs> well i mean let's also not forget that, that, that they did obviously have um uh, the song war never been so much fun at the same Indeed. point so imagine if it went to court and somebody got indicted it's probably not gonna hold up yeah, but it was definitely ironic. Uh, we've definitely featured that song on Sound of Play at least once before, and uh, it was. Yeah, there, I mean, there was a there was a definitely a, a dark humour, a bitter sweetness to uh, to those lyrics. Now, uh, next pick from you, Rich, is from Supergiant's 2017 weird fantasy sports game. This is one that I own, but I've never got round to playing. But I've always been curious about. They once again utilised their kind of house musician. If he isn't, he might as well be Darren Corb. Uh, so why did you pick this one? So you own Pyre, but have never played it. And I can't evangelise this game enough. It's sort of like um, NBA Jam meets yes. uh, Choose Your Own Adventure. And it just completely hit me by surprise. So yeah. I think everything about this game stood out at the time. It's got this really unique aesthetic and all of the music is typically, as is the case with Transistor and Bastion, superb. What you're hearing is Downside Ballad, which is a sort of um, like an interstitial piece of music that happens between um, what are called the rites. 
which is the the matches between the the mm. two teams or well the several teams at the same time. It's just this like lilting kind of low slow piece of music that kind of doesn't really go anywhere, ambles, and it just kind of sets the tone really nicely. Ballad by Darren Corb from Pyre. That's another of those games that I look at the release date and I think, how did that happen? That's three years ago that came out, 2017, at the time of recording. What about the rest of the soundtrack? Uh, obviously, Darren Corb's 
collaborations with Ashley. Yeah, so they persevere. They're persistent in yep. this game as well. And I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to Hades when it sort of yes. sees a full release to see where they go from there. But the rest of the soundtrack's really fascinating because it's sort of modular. Each one mm. of the characters that makes up your team or your squad has its own kind of instrument. And there's lots of themes that kind of build upon that and they weave in between each other. And it's quite an eclectic soundtrack as well because there's like loads of different genres and, and instruments there that make it up. Mm. Um, in my last sound of player, I featured this song Bound Together, which is a sort of lovely, um, like a modular song in and of itself, because what happens is it picks up different narrative beats throughout the game and then weaves them into a sort of culmination. Oh, yes, I remember. I remember. It's, yes. it's just a beautiful soundtrack. Cool. Yeah, Ashley Barrett is the name I was struggling to remember, oh, yeah. but did without Googling. I'm so proud of my <laughs> aging brain. <laughs> Now we have something from a little further back, as we like to do, jump around throughout the history of the medium. And this is a cheesy classic from 96, Gingertastic 01 requests. I would like to request the Wave Race 64 main title. I don't believe it's been featured before. I don't think it has either. Some classic N64 tunage right here. That really does take me back. The main title by Kazumi Totaka of Totakeke fame uh, and his secret tune that appears in lots of different Nintendo games. Wave Race 64, we had to wait until 97, I think, before that came out over here uh, because the N64 didn't come out until 1997 in Europe. So that was why. Uh, but I picked that one up immediately. And even though we had the 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 slow bordered pal version i still fell in love with the game i still enjoy it to this day but yeah that piece of music absolutely i think i think we got it in springtime the game but it was yeah just hugely evocative of the oncoming summer and what you wouldn't hear there in the version we've just played is either the shouting announcer booming the name of the game uh, but also the chirping of the dolphins, the very N64 sounding dolphins that um, that interrupted the, uh, the the music or, or swam, swam and sang over it. But it's this very nicely sort of cut together, simple but brief um, little cutscene just to set the mood of these uh, sunny jet ski riders zooming around these crystal blue waters, uh, jumping over ramps, going through hoops, all that kind of stuff. Were you ever a wave race guy? Never played it. No, I mean, I do have a relationship with the N64, but it came way back in. So I was a PlayStation well, two, 96, I would have been 10. So yeah, there was no way I was going to be able to command what kind of console that I liked. Um, I picked up a N64 in, I want to say, 2001, and I just hit all the classics. And unfortunately, wave race wasn't among them. Well, it should have been. In my opinion, I'll, I'll um, take your word for it. Yeah. It is genuinely. I mean, it's yeah. I don't know about coming to it now. It would definitely look 
not as impressive as it did back then. See, but what I will say is that I've never played a game since that quite captured the feel of being on water as Wave Race did. I took a look at a, a like a, a clip on on YouTube before I came in just to try and find something to say about it, and it definitely does. That's probably the strongest emotion you're going to get out of me. Yeah, good times though for us. Uh, one we haven't yet covered on the Kana Rince podcast, but I know some of us would like to. And uh, yes, it's still you can still get it on uh, like Wii U Virtual Console and stuff. At least until N64 games may or may not ever come to Switch, or they may do a N64 Mini. Who knows? But yeah, as it stands, yeah. Well, there's also original hardware, of course. But I like it. I love it. I have I have fond recollections. Another 2017 game for your next pick. Again, shockingly so to my brain as the years go by they go by faster and all that stuff that i've i've said before games that now came out in 2017 feel like they are brand new releases to me but of course we're actually imminently expecting the sequel to neo uh but i'm guessing i know uh you and our jay have had some uh co-op yeah. fun with the original neo um so i'm guessing you aced and yeah yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to sort of be honest with you here. When I first played it, I played, um, I don't know, probably the first quarter of the game and, and couldn't stand it. I really couldn't. Interesting. Okay. It was hard. Yeah, I'm not a natural Souls player, despite the fact that I've played through all the games. And I suppose that's the closest approximation. Um, I found it just to be absolutely impossible. And this, there's this kind of um, point in the game where it does what I think is a bit of a cardinal sin. And it asks you to fight a single enemy uh, perfectly. So it can kill you in uh, probably two hits. And you have to hit it maybe, I don't know, 50, 60 times without taking a hit. And it's just like, nah. Like at this point, this is not a, a test of my skill. It's more a test of my patience. And, and as soon as you do that, I'm out. Mm. But um, Jay had picked it up on a whim, I think at the time and it was a game that i knew had co-op and a cooperative element a cooperative element and i was like yeah yeah we, we need to get back into that and then probably for the best part of a month he and i just spent just hammering it every single night and neo's one of those games that is is kind of rich in in lore and and mythology and sort of some real world elements so you can really steep yourself in all of the the kind of surroundings and and you know, it's yet another example of those types of games that I think both Jay and I do, which is just find some material and just sort of just bathe in it for a period of time until the game is over and then move on to the next one. Um, it's just a fantastic game. Yeah, and it's so well put together. And it's so similar to Monster Hunter as well, which is another reason why I think I quite enjoyed it in that it sort of asks you to go back and do the same things and slightly different variations. And that's kind of something that I'm all about. I like to, to practice and, and to sort of do things in repetition ad nauseum until I get very good at it. And this is an absolutely delightful piece that I hadn't heard before. I've only played the first few hours of this game as well. Uh, what uh, what what's going on in the game when you hear this piece? Is it a repeated theme or is it, it a one-off? It, it is, yeah. So the, the actual song itself, Nakatsu Cavern, is um, a song that you hear fairly early on in the game. It's probably in one of the maybe first four or five separate areas. And to be perfectly honest with you, if you ask me what was going on at the time, very little. But there's the sort of swelling strings thing that I'm a bit of a sucker for um, yeah. that just kind of builds and it's a theme that sort of persists with you through the game and it sort of instantly puts me back in that that period of time when I was playing it but also instantly brings me back to that sort of sense of yeah this is this is exactly what feudal Japan kind of feels like to me in, in my mind it's not necessarily I was wondering if it was the equivalent of like the uh, the Firelink Shrine piece in Dark Souls or something. No, not at all. It's not just a all. piece of music that you, you're sort of playing when you're cutting around a cavern and killing some Oni and some uh, some um, peasants, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. All right, Yugo Kano and Nakatsu Cavern theme.
Team Ninja, not from software, despite what they say. Back in 2017, there's also a PC version. And yeah, the sequel is on its way very soon, I think. In the next couple of months, maybe? Yeah, I'm going to give April. it a bit of a wide berth, I think, until I've sure. had some some rest from playing Division 2 every single day and, and maybe sort of spend some time playing a single player, catch up on my backlog a little bit and get ready for the end of the year where my Kainerman's sort of schedule gets a bit hectic. Yeah, that's the way it goes, I'm afraid. Once you've been <laughs> once you've been hooked into the Inner Sanctum, you have to prioritise those Cane and Rinse games. Or well, you can just quit if you want. You know, we're not going to... We won't hold it against you, but we hope you don't. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, I'm not sure if that's a command or a request. Oh, no. no absolutely no, not, no. No, no. I mean, we don't, we, we don't want people to think it's like some kind of cult that you can never leave. I think we had the the first <laughs> five shows pause. of the year were just kind of wait, like big hitters, and it was a case of wow, okay, I've got to cover some of these incredibly massive games. And one of the things about me that you probably find as we move along the schedule is that I, I tend to have very temperate opinions on absolutely everything, and, <laughs> and very rarely get Perfect. passionate about one thing or another thing, <laughs> and sort of struggle with this bit of existential crisis of how is everybody else enjoying this? And I'm just having absolutely no reaction whatsoever. So to go from the the first half of the, well, the first four episodes of the year where it was just absolute classic after classic. And I was like, I hope I don't set a precedent here that I'm effusive about absolutely everything because it can't Mm. persist. No, that's good. Uh, Obviously, we we tried to shy away from hyperbole. So in that way, you're a natural fit. Mm. Uh, but equally, you know, we don't we don't want only bland opinions. So it was good that you're infused here. You, when you get infused, you get properly yeah. infused. And hopefully we'll hear at some point the other direction. <laughs> Very soon, no doubt. Very yeah. soon. <laughs> uh, now we got some chip tunage, but uh, relatively contemporary from the mid-2010s. Shovel Knight. We featured this one a bunch before. Well, this game, not this tune, I don't think, though. Jake Kaufman's amazing suite of epic air-punching chip tunes, and this one was requested by Dusk versus Tweak, who says all the levels in Shovel Knight have perfectly appropriate music to go with them, matching level design with atmosphere in a way that complements the whole production and pays tribute to the NES adventures that came before. But for me, La Dance Macabre and the Lichyard in general stand out above the rest. When the already dangerous level goes dark and only illuminates your path with flashing lightning and dimly lit sky, it's the type of cinematic adventure that only a 2D game like Shovel Knight can pull off. Maybe it's because of because it's the level and music that feels most like a Castlevania game to me, but it's the course that I think about the most and the score I go back to more often than the rest of the soundtrack.
Shovel Knight's La Dance Macabre or Lichyard by Jake Kaufman. Indeed, as somebody who hasn't yet played Shovel Knight, my intention is to play along with our second Shovel Knight podcast on Kane and Rince that's coming later this year, which is going to wrap up all of the DLC, which we decided wouldn't fit into last year's Shovel Knight vanilla show because there's just so much of it and it's so fundamentally kind of extra games beyond uh, the the base Shovel Knight. But yes, that piece there absolutely sounds like a kind of vintage NES Castlevania piece. Sure it is, yeah. Yeah. It's another series that, even though we did talk about quite a bit of the 2D Castlevania stuff in our Symphony of the Night show many years ago, I think uh, there is a sense that while we never uh, confirm or uh, set firm firm plans for next year's volumes and so on but um there is i think there is the will among us to go back and revisit the 2d castlevania series we probably won't do one show for every single entry because that would be disruptive to the rest of the schedule but we might find a way of summing certain groups of them up or something like that we shall see anyway but i have a hankering to go and play some classic vania uh, but yes, not to distract from the fact that that was a Shovel Knight piece. And yeah, look out on the Kane and Rince podcast for what will be our second Shovel Knight podcast coming some point later this year. I don't have the number in front of me. But as always, if you're a Patreon subscriber and supporter for just $2 a month, you'll get that show a month early. Not just a week anymore. It's a whole month and often extended as well in many cases. And I suspect, although I can't guarantee it, that one's quite likely to go beyond the two hours. Next up, this is from The Last Guardian. Rich, uh, so I think we covered this before you were part of the crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in particular, this soundtrack's full of beautiful music, almost back to back. I actually listen to it very often um, because it's quite ambient and it's nice to listen to. It focuses my mind and sort of sharpens me while I'm doing work or while I'm traveling. There's a lot of um, The Last Guardian that's almost silent. It's just to sort of probably to, to sort of get you to sense the absence of noise in the environment. But also, you know, let's not denigrate the fact that there's some beautifully captured creature sounds and, and almost like negative sounds in that space. When I was looking at this track, I, I found that I couldn't quite um, place in the story exactly where this song came in. And while I did go through like a YouTube recording and, and find it, I almost enjoy it a little bit more not knowing where it is. So the track's called Sanctuary and, and I was always sort of looking or reaching for uh, like where a sanctuary was in the game and I'm not entirely convinced that that's the right way to interpret it. For me, it's more a case of it engenders this sense of sanctuary. What you've got is a piano that feels like it sort of captures almost the fragility of the child, but then you've got this building kind of crescendo of strings that kind of puts you in the sense of the, the natural elegance of Trico and how beautiful and how massive and how powerful Trico is at the same time. So yeah, this is, the, this is called Sanctuary from The Last Guardian.
Takeshi Furukawa's sanctuary from The Last Guardian. We waited and waited and waited. What, I suppose it was... I, I guess uh, we definitely talked about that on the show. Not that I was on it, but um, it was something like 10 years between when the game was first rumbled about <laughs> to when it actually came out. But uh, but came come out, it eventually did. And uh, some people had enormous struggles with the controls. Other people just fell in love with Trico and didn't care about such trifling matters as interfacing with the game world. <laughs> yeah, I think um, going back to Shadow of the Colossus for the recent Kane and Rince episode was mm. like a real eye-opener in terms of exactly some of the brilliance from Ueda and the studio at Gen Design and, and some of the design decisions and the design principles that they took that made it stand out. And if you listen to the uh, the show in particular, there's um, just a lot of chatter about some of the the development that went away and and how probably the the time that they needed to to take to bake some of those aesthetic choices in really paid dividends in the end. Yeah. So as well as the extended Shadow of the Colossus. 2018 podcast that's currently on the patreon that'll be coming in a two-hour cut to the free feeds and spotify soon we've got some other amazing uh stuff relating to team eco uh, our original eco and shadow of the colossus podcast goes all the way back to 2011 or early 2012 late 2011 early 2012 when we started the podcast but we've also got uh, an article on the blog at uh Canerince.com, words of Fumito Ueda, which is Jacob Geller exploring and celebrating the striking environments created by uh, Ueda-san and Team Eco. But also, and I don't think we got quite enough, although it was picked up by uh, Game, was it Gama Sutra? I think it was on Gama Sutra. One of the big sites picked up the fact that we had, Canerince had an exclusive interview, interview with Fumito Ueda. Literally, nobody else had this. We spoke to him one to one. And it's there on the website, Fumito Ueda Interview, com. Check it out. Rather proud of that. We have connections, you know. <laughs> Coming up in a podcast soon on Kano Rinse, we've got Yakuza Zero. We're covering that one this year, and we're starting with the prequel, even though it was actually like the ninth game released in the series or something like that. That's a guess. Don't quote me. Don't at me. Um, and then we're going to cover Yakuza 1, or the original, or Kiwami, later in the year, continuing the story. But we've got a few requests on our uh, Sound of Play thread and on our spreadsheet that we keep of these community selections. Simon Sloth asked for this one, which is a great little tune that plays at the end of some of the more bonkers and morally dubious sub-stories. Sums up the game really well. <laughs> It's called We Did It, and it's by Hidenori Shoji and All Sega Sound Team. From 2015, 
actually 2017 elsewhere, but uh, 2015 in its original release in Japan on the PS3. Ryuga Gotoko Studios, we did it. I don't think I've heard that yet. As we record this, I'm currently about halfway through the game on my playthrough for the show. And I don't think I've, I mean, I've definitely ended some of the sub stories, but I don't remember hearing that piece. Yeah, I've definitely heard it and I just can't yeah. remember exactly where it is. And I did go through just to try and understand some of the context behind this absolutely bonkers and non sequitur <laughs> song that really has no meaning or no kind of sequential um, p- place in that game. But to be fair, the, the amount of like depth in the, the soundtrack in Yakuza and the, the sort of weirdness of it why not yeah. it sort of fits the tone it it definitely does match it as simon sloth says in that the rest of the game seems to have absolutely no tonal uh consistency yeah we'll talk about this a lot on the on the yakuza zero podcast uh, but yes i think it, it is a game of juxtapositions <laughs> from my point of view so kind of you yeah which um which 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 uh, i mean there's there's a lot of history and legacy to that in video games and whether it works for the individual is obviously it's a yes yeah, an entirely subject subjective matter so uh but yes there there are some curious exchanges and sequences of events in yakuza the likes of which probably you don't find in in so many other games these days right uh we've come to the final track once again uh thanks for coming on this sound of play richard yeah my pleasure yeah Nothing to plug, presumably. Nah, no, than... I have no online internet presence, no. and I'd prefer to keep it that way. Yeah. I remember you having being much like that, even before uh, yeah, this. I mean, now you have got something to plug, but we've kind of already done that. So. I do, and that that that's enough for me. Yeah. So we, what we will do is uh, thank our community contributors for those requests. We do need them to make this show, so do keep them coming. And generally, head over to canerince.com/forum, sign up make your requests and also feedback on the podcasts and just enter into general video game discussion if you wish. I know it's a forum and that's kind of an old fashioned thing, but actually it's still a good place. Uh, it's a safe space as far as we can keep it that way. And, uh, and it's a good place to hang out and talk games intelligently with other reasonably like-minded people <laughs> and reasonable people largely. <laughs> uh, So, to close, uh, this is a nice uplifting piece from my personal favourite game of 2018 was Tetris Effect. We're going to cover this one in the podcast later this year as well. And we're going to use that opportunity to talk about Tetris 99 a bit too. Have another Tetris show because we did do one and we sort of summed up what was at the time 35 years of Tetris history. And then they just after we did that, they released two more Tetrises that were worthy of note. So... Uh, now I know that um, I haven't. I th- yes, we are we are PS4 friends, but I haven't spent too much time comparing our scores because I I fear that it would uh, it would embarrass and humiliate. <laughs> I mean, you know, fair enough. I mean, is your intention to spend a lot more time in Tetris Effect between now and and the show? Or is oh, some like some as as much as I can. Yeah, I mean, I love that game uh, and it's Tetris. So I'd welcome that, and I think my friends list is looking pretty sparse. I think there's a nice, healthy competition, albeit one that Leah doesn't know about, between me and Leah at the moment, and we're really <laughs> close in terms of scores. But yeah, Tetris Effect. What a game. Um, hyperbole aside, I think it's probably one of the only games in the last oof, two or three years that I'm quite happy to play at the same time as something else. I very rarely play more than one game at the same time as another. Usually it's just the same thing in isolation, but Tetris Effect just kind of, it just sort of hit me and, and it's something that I can quite easily slip into. And I want to sort of reference that against the fact that I have absolutely no affection for Tetris at all. I think anyone of my age has played Tetris to death on the Game Boy, but between then and Tetris Effect, it was just a sort of nothing between then and now. But I think I just naturally, this is the most humble brag I think I've ever done. I'm, I'm kind of naturally good at it. It's something yeah, that I can yeah. play quite, casually and by that i mean play at a high level albeit quite casually Mm. um but i'm nowhere near um anywhere near the kind of competitive level and i think um des from the team has a a higher score than me in one one of the the modes and i'm never going to get anywhere near him i think as far as as this is for for me personally at this moment in time 
Um, I can play it quite reflexively. I'm starting to visualize the board and think about what's coming there and then, but I don't have the muscle memory to be able to kind of get the things into position before you do a, a kind of a, a, like a hard push down to the, the bottom there. And I think I'll get there. This song, uh, Stratosphere, mm. um, or, or part of the Stratosphere level, is called So They Say by Alina Renee and Metal Mouse. And um, it comes at a point in the game where you've probably just been in a really like intense, I want to say 40 minutes to an hour, and you get a lot of like drum and bass and a lot of um, like really hard rhythmic things, um, percussion. And this is just a nice like melodic kind of pop song that comes, and it's yeah. just very relaxing at the same point before you end up going for that last push where you've got to get... I think it's 90 lines without dying. And it's uh, exceptionally difficult. Yes, uh, for sure. No doubt. Yeah, lovely piece. Uh, one of many on that soundtrack, I would say. And you've now got me thinking about some kind of Cane and Rinse, inter Cane and Rinse. We had a suggestion on our Patreon podcast this week that we recorded, uh, exclusive for Patreon $2 subscribers. Check it out if you want to. Um, we had a suggestion that we ought to kind of have a superstars showdown for Kane and Rinses versus for the computer game show people for, you know, in a kind of a video gaming, a test of video gaming skill. And I pointed out that we have actually kind of, we've sort of done a bit of this kind of stuff at EGX the last couple of years, but uh, I've suddenly just thought it might be fun to have a kind of cross Kane and Rinse contributors team, uh, you know, event where we all play multiple games of multiple disciplines and find out who actually is the overall best gamer and this is but, where jay comes up the rear <laughs> i haven't played nothing but the division <laughs> two for however long and finds yeah i don't know position. i mean i know a lot of yeah there's this is the thing a lot of it would be difficult to organize because there'd be a lot of games that wouldn't be available to everybody and to to make it a fair spread you'd have to be covering a lot of stuff that would be very much outside of people's comfort comfort zones so i'm not sure it's ever going to happen but uh it'd be a fun idea just yeah. to have a big old big old leaderboard spreadsheet and one people... thing that i think before we move on to the song that i think i really need to say is like i have to send a psvr down to you and you have to play this game in psvr i'm not sure if you've played it in i did VR yeah, yeah i did all, yes yeah but it's not quite the same as when you spend so so here's the thing if you just want to go through the game, it probably takes about an hour and 50 minutes, which is not a comfortable experience to do in VR, but it's actually one of the more pleasant VR experiences for, for me in particular. Um, yeah, because But if you, if you want to play this game us. well, then yes. you're looking at like a three-hour experience because contrary to instinct, the right way to play a Tetris effect is to elongate the game and make it last as long as is humanly possible, not just yeah. for the sense of the score, mm. but there is a sort of finite hard stop in this uh in this game where once you yes. reach 40 lines it will naturally progress you onto the next stage and also as was discovered online it's uh, you'll do better playing on the headset because the uh latency. interface latency yeah. is so much lower i mean i, than, I, I couldn't yeah. speak to that I'm, I'm not really sure to what extent that is the case but there's a sort of sense of immersion that kind of fugue state that you went uh, just kind of naturally yeah, comes yeah. when you're in vr i think mm. So we'll leave you with Stratosphere, so they say, by Alina Rene and Metal Mouse from Tetris Effect. And we'll see you for some kind of Assassin's Creed special in Sound of Play 240.